Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Welcome back to another episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. My guest today is return guest Clint Davis. Clint is the CEO and founder of the app Capsule, which is a social media app that is really dedicated to connection and creating a digital legacy in a really meaningful way, not the commoditized way that Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms are operated, which is why Clint makes for such an incredible guest on this show. That's an exploration of meaning. I'll link to all the ways you can connect with the app capsule and with Clint in the show notes. And every episode I donate to and raise awareness for the charity or organization of my guest's choice. And in this episode, Clint has selected Hope Kids. So please join me in donating. This conversation is a meaningful exploration in several ways. Clint is very open about the challenges of being a CEO of a tech startup and all the ways that he's been confronted with his own personal challenges and how he brings that into his business. And when things aren't going, quote unquote, well with the business, how does he communicate with his employees? And as a new father, which I am right now, I find this to be really practical. I think this is really practical for anyone who's tuned in listening because things aren't going to go the way that we have them mapped out in our head a lot of the time. And our choice is how we respond in those moments. And so Clint has really modeled that with the challenges he faces at building something big with Capsule. We talk about the landscape of social media, and this is something that is ripe for discussion and debate. The way that we engage with content, the way that we engage with social media, very often is in a passive way. And so we're bombarded with all of this information that, yes, in some ways, we're able to curate it and and choose what we want to pay attention to and what we don't. But in a lot of ways, we're being targeted with algorithms and are not really in control of our mind. Like we are being bombarded with so much information that it hijacks our experience of being ourselves. And Clint is really eloquent in dissecting this challenge and how he is addressing this challenge with creating his company, Capsule. We discuss what a scaled ethical tech company might and should look like. And perhaps my favorite part of the conversation is talking about how we can bring mindfulness and connection back to our media. The phrase relentless pursuit of connection is something I wrote down because that is ultimately what Clint is after and what Capsule is after the relentless pursuit of connection, which is what we as a species are all yearning for. That's why we check Instagram and Facebook. We're yearning for connection, but it leaves us feeling emptier. Enter Capsule. So I'm going to let Clint take it from here. This is a really deep and meaningful conversation, very apropos for the title of my show. Go ahead and settle in. Take a deep breath. And enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Clint Davis. My man, Clint, 
Welcome back to Mike's Search Back again. Here we are, man. It's been a while. Back again. Yes, a lot. <laughs> uh, I was saying before, well, we said a lot before we recorded. I hope that a lot of that ends up in the recording. One of the things that we said is I'm a daddy now. So a lot has... Yeah. Lots changed. Congrats. Thank yeah, you, man. Well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a father yet, so I just hear this. I hear the war stories, you know. So, <laughs> what's what's changed? I mean, how it's it's early days still, right? So, Seven so what weeks. has changed? Yeah, Seven and a half weeks. I mean, so I'm actually releasing by the time this is released, the episode that I'm talking about that I did myself, a solo episode will have certainly been released. I did a solo episode reflecting on all the things, and you know, one of the things that has come up for me is. This anger, I didn't realize I had access to. Anger is an emotion that I've hid from most of my life. I've had a really a difficult relationship with anger. And I'm just noticing that having a son who at any given time in the night or, or day might be screaming in my face. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's like, I don't know what to do. And uh, the, the mental tug of war that happens of like, I know he's a baby. I know that being a baby's hard, but. The, the chaos that happens in me is I, like this anger. I didn't realize I had access to such powerful, forceful emotion. And that, and that scared me. So, you know, wow. tired, sleep deprived, like all this yeah. stuff is, is coming up for me. And yeah, man, yeah. it's, I know you, you've been as a, your business isn't a baby. It's not a human, but. It has its days. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we, we both can probably speak to the emotional turmoil that is creating something that is so out of our control that we have a lot of influence over at the same time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It, it, it really is. Anger is such an interesting place to start, isn't it? And, and we're going to go down some deep rabbit holes today, I think. But yes. it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody the other day who also said that one of the keys to the, the healing of their mental health was expressing anger in a in an environment that allowed him to do that, you know, but actually physically expressing anger. And I've never heard of that before. I've never I've also never heard of somebody saying that babies have a tough life. That's a new that's a new one for me, but it's actually true. It's it is true. But I was like, oh really? Love somebody to feed me and put me to sleep every thirty minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what was it? How do you, where, where do you find, because I can relate to that. It's, it's, it's really, yeah. it is really hard sometimes to express such a powerful emotion in a direction that doesn't have cause and effect on, on somebody that you care about. Mm. Have you, are you, do you have practices that, that work around it? How do you get it out? You probably put it in the episode and I'm going to ruin it now, but we'll <laughs> recap, recap. Yeah, it's okay. People can circle back to it if they want to. Well, like you beautifully pointed to, anger and all emotions, uh, I've recently too learned that they are very physical in nature. And so anger for me, it's like this rising energy in my chest and in my face. And I, I feel really overrun with it. So part of my expression of it is physical. Mm -hmm. I, it has, it's been a while since I've gone outside to do it, but I participated in a retreat once that was, basically a men's retreat, a men's inner work retreat. And we had this component of the weekend where we each got to hold. I think it's important to say we established safety and we were in a really safe container. And sure. you know, anger can be a really harmful emotion when not expressed safely. So given all of that was met, one way I expressed it was we just picked up a rock and we were in a safe container of men and whatever was going on in my world, I had permission to slam the rock down and scream and have, you know, 
really guttural rage mm. out of me. And wow. in my home, that is that looks more like punching my bed, punching a pillow, screaming into a pillow. There was one time I just like my shoulder actually hurts right now. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> vulnerable to say, but like the other yeah. night, I just like kept I smacked the bed over and over and over again. Like, this is yeah. so hard. It's so hard. And you know, I I make sure to discharge the anger because I think if I keep it in me, then something dangerous could happen right it's it needs the, mm. that energy needs to be moved through me mm. so i mean that's been one element of it i work with a coach and my coach pointed in a beautiful way towards what the you know sometimes anger is protecting a more vulnerable emotion and for me it's pain yeah. you know so there's pain of the loss of autonomy and agency in my life that i've just and my life isn't in as much, nearly as much control as it was anymore. Sure. I, I have to take care of a, a little baby. And when I said being a baby's hard, it's yeah. a baby can't get up and say, yeah, I'm hungry. I'll yeah. go to the fridge and, and grab a, you know, a, an apple or a drink that all they could do is scream and they need someone to go help. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have uh, and we scream and nobody comes to help, you know, it's just like the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the counterpart. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. So you, so you need to get it out physically. That's, that's, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily like that, but I think every. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can only speak about masculinity, but I think every man mm. has that in him where you try to manage, try to manage, try to manage. It's not necessarily bottling it up. It's just a lot of stuff going on. That mm. uh, there's two things, right? It, it'll take a lot of time to express that to somebody else. So my wife and I talk a lot. We talk about everything, and yet there's still this side where stuff's just moving. You know, it's happening that, and and if it all comes to a head in a way that is so frustrating and doesn't, I guess, in a way, honor sometimes the efforts that you've put into this. And that could be anything from a project all the way back to your childhood and your life, all the suffering you've had, all the difficulties you've had. In us, we feel like they should amount to something good at some stage if we've gone through all of it, you know. And we must still believe that it will. I also believe that the default for the human life is not necessarily comfort, but rather suffering, which is a, a, a more of a, a Eastern original uh, mystical religious belief, which I think is probably true. It doesn't take a rocket science to look around and see that, you know. But I think we do come to that point where I don't know if our counterpart woman can understand the actual physical angst that works up in you and has to work out in some way if we don't manage it correctly. And that is, it could be physical, but shouting is also physical. It has a, mm-hmm. a, a it might even be worse. You know, I mean, I grew up in that environment. That was my, my understanding of anger was completely unhealthy growing up as a kid. And I think I probably am more fearful of somebody being angry because of it. But uh, it is that, right? It's, I guess it happens to all of us. It bottles up where I think, I think women generally break down in emotion and we generally explode. Yes. Know? And some of that is, I don't know the neuroscience of it or the physiology, ph- physiological side of it, but it is, it feels uncontrollable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What's it like for you to, like, how, how have you been? We can move into, it doesn't have to be anger, but I, I would love to hear, you know, you're, you're building something big in the tech industry and being a tech startup right now is it's fucking hard. It's hard right now. <laughs> there isn't, you know, there isn't an appropriate four-letter word. Frankly, it's uh, <laughs> we need something a little stronger. <laughs> no, it's 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a it's such a ride. You know, it's amazing when you start out. Uh, the best advice you get is enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. It's probably the hardest thing to do. Enjoy the journey, and it's also just dictated to you sometimes how difficult that is. So over the last year of startups, for people that don't know what this has been like for startups or new businesses, maybe even small businesses, possibly it has been absolutely brutal. You know, the way startups form, which I really feel this conversation is so important because startups are the backbone of innovation. Mm -hmm. And that innovation comes along in a timeless manner. And what that means really is that when it comes along in a timeless manner, it comes along in the context of the way humanity is moving at the time. It comes along to serve needs that humanity need have need of at that moment, that slice of within that period, that, that generation or those 10 years or whatever that block is that your particular product or such is. When the unsettling of startup world happens and guys can no longer raise money, uh, they cannot employ um, great minds to think on things or great engineers like with us in tech or however you, however you want to name it. Um, and you've also got this perception from the outside world that when a startup fails, you're a failure, which is not true because every startup uh, founder has had, had failures, not even necessary in startup, uh, but in many projects because they buy birth entrepreneurs and want to head in a new discovery, a new innovative way. You put all those things together. You know, over the last year, we've faced the economic downturn of our country's economy, the economic downturn of the world. We have faced the fallout from Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, just a bank thing, and everybody had an opinion about it. For us as a startup, and many startups are like this, this really rattled and really, we'll see, I think possibly fatally cracked the way that that particular bank helped us in the startup landscape. You know, there were events for startups where we could meet fund fund uh, investors. You know, there were events that we could connect with other similar minds on. And then even just being at these sort of things made you feel like you had value as a startup innovating something new. And a lot of that just has, has really gone to almost nothing. Now, we are still, I will just say, like, we've always enjoyed a great relationship with that bank and we didn't suffer any loss from it and, and they are doing their best to to get everything back. But the way that affected those two factors, the way those affected a startup being able to raise investment, which you are completely reliant on until you hit revenue, um, and also reliant on the amount of investment you need according to what you're building. So like you say, we're building a monster platform mm-hmm. uh, and have raised very, very little uh, in comparison. <laughs> it's brutal. And it's not only brutal in the way that you have to manage those funds and your staff and your business, but the way you have to manage yourself mentally, emotionally has been probably the the hardest thing to do. And I think some of that is just trying to pursue, I mean, that's what your podcast is all about, right? Pursue your purpose, you know, trying to trying to have your life count for something and execute on what you think the idea is that will get you to that fulfillment of purpose and innovate something that can truly be a backbone of what humanity needs now and moving into whatever near or distant future you may see uh, in your vision, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to get into your inner game uh, in the last... I mean, I, I think even if things were quote unquote easy, Starting your own business is a journey. I mean, I, I've done that, and and I actually feel like there's 
the more that we're talking, the more I feel there's parallels in, in raising a child and, and starting your own business. There's just, there's this idea and this thing that you're so proud of and it's so exciting to create. And then there's the reality of it, it is those things. And there's so many things that we couldn't possibly plan for and external forces that we are, you know, in some ways at the effect of, right? I, I know that our inner world usually shifts our outer world in a lot of ways, but there are realities that are hard to face. And, and we're in that moment right now. So I would, I would love to hear a little bit about your inner game. Like you said that your wife is a mindset coach and man, I'm sure that's been really helpful yeah. to lean on. So what's it been like for you? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah, thanks for that. And I mean, you know me from the last one. It's, I'll say this because some people get quite shocked or surprised at this, but I'm a pretty open book. I think, I think the necessity for authenticity in our time is an absolute priority. And that authenticity has to come from a place of having lived a journey, often a journey of struggle, and the willingness to see others succeed. And so everything that I say in this in this vein is really not to shine light on, oh, yeah, we've done this, or we've done that, or I've made it through this, I've made it through that. But really, my hope is that whoever's listening to this, and I appreciate you listening because I was in radio for a long time, and we, we take for granted people listening, you know, but you're giving your time to listen to this. So I appreciate and hopefully we can give you things of value. Um but I think, I think with, with, within all that, it's just, it's the fear of the unknown, I think, that gets us, you know. And yet, it is also the, the, the unknown where we thrive. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know anything when you head out to start a business. You, 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 don't, you might have done some business before, but you don't know what the journey is going to be. You don't know what opposition you're going to face. You don't know what wars are going to kick off. You don't know what government is going to change or what policies will will change or what will happen with investors or economies. You don't know. So you're literally fearing something that has not happened. And I think this really is the a massive it has been a massive core of my stress. Not not only in the fear of the unknown when it comes to business, but the fear of the unknown in general. You know, when you start when you start that business, yes you're seeking purpose, but there's no point in, in living in purpose if you can't feed your family, you know, and, and to that point, some people are against the pursuit of wealth. Well, that's fine. You can live that way. But I believe that if you have something that's so valuable to the world, you will be in wealth, whether you like it or not. And now I can hear voices going, well, nonprofit does good and they aren't wealthy. Well, I believe nonprofits should be wealthy. I believe if they're helping people, they shouldn't. That's, that's built into our business model to help nonprofits. So I think... The, the mental game has changed all the time as we've gone along the journey. You have to keep learning and keep growing. I think the, the benefit of our age right now in our generation is that we are so focused on mental health. We didn't hear this growing up. We didn't hear conversations about, about mental health or about like, you know, nootropics or <laughs> mushrooms. Or, I mean, yeah. come on, like you know, people are ordering this stuff to their doorstep. You know, we are very, well, maybe not all of us, maybe it's the circles I'm moving, but certainly there are a lot more of us engaged in living healthy mental lives. The journeys of that, though, changes. I think of myself six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, two years in, and now two and a half years in, and it's exponentially different the way I approach my inner game now as to then. I, I literally, I mean, you know, you, sometimes you can't avoid this in startup life, but I, I mean, I woke up at 1.26 this morning, not on purpose, just brain going crazy, worrying. 
about where we are in the landscape of things, uh, all kinds of factors, you know, worrying about things that are not real yet. And it's such a hard thing to rein in, but I think I've seen that in other areas of my life as well, where I worry about things that haven't happened yet. Or the alternative, where I live in the success of something that hasn't happened yet. So you can live in the dream, right? You can live in the dream of something where it's like, okay, this company is going to grow. It's going to reach 100 million valuation by the end of next year. We're all going to have no worries at all about money. We're going to finally be able to buy our own house, finally be able to adopt the kids that we want to adopt. You know, this is just our story. And then everybody has their little attachments to what will happen in success. But we can live in that as well and become very disillusioned in our current lives and actually become very depressed and feel like failures in our current lives because we're living in a non-reality that we do not know yet if that's going to happen or not. So good or bad, if we're ever living in that non-reality, I think it has, I think it has to be, I think it's, it can be good to be realistic, but I think it can really, if not managed correctly, get a hold of you in a very, very detrimental way real quick. Yeah, I'm hearing that there's uh, been a couple of elements of Buddhism that have been uh, floated into the conversation here. And that this wasn't explicitly what you said, but there's this balance of desired outcome and, and detachment, right? Like not if you're if you're floating into dreamland, there's there's the desired outcome. And if you place your entire well-being on that, it can be a really dangerous game. And then and conversely, like you said, if you're just living in Roryland all the time, it's it's probably blocking you from. I don't know, having creativity and, and being present to the moment. And I wanted to, to do a little bit of digging around. Like you, you, you speak about mindfulness with regard to technology and mindfulness in your own personal life. And you've started a meditation practice now. And yeah, just like what are some ways that you're being more mindful in your life with tech and in your meditation practice, things like that? Yeah, that's great. Man. I, love, I love that. And also, I'm learning, right? So, yeah, I, these are things that have worked for me. I'm a, if anybody is Enneagram, I'm not big on Enneagram, but I've done the tests. So I'm Enneagram one. So I like, I like things to be perfect. I think my biggest con- worry, my biggest difficulty, and I've got a COO coming on to help, actually a large part to help with this, is the stuff that I don't know freaks me out. So, uh, and because I... Because I didn't study business, for example, I don't know a lot of things that I have to learn quickly as I go along. And most most founders are like this, but not all founders worry about the stuff that they might be missing out on. And I, I do worry about that stuff. I can feel it. And so I've had to get get a, a grip on on a lot of my mental game. I've also carried, and I'm just laying out sort of the difficulties that I've ha- had to address. I've also carried a lot of responsibility for everyone. And I thought that was just in the business, but I realized that that's actually a life pattern I've had. I have carried responsibility for friends that have been around me, responsible for their lives to be good, for the way I'm, I've carried responsibility for, you know, when I was still in the, in the Western Christian church. And that's a whole nother discussion because my degree is in theology and I, I'm no longer part of the Western Christian church. Because if we spoke about meditation and I was, then you get emails. So, you know, I, I wish we could just overcome some of our relig- religious barriers and understand that the brain is the brain and needs to be healthy and your mental state needs to be healthy and not everything has a devil hiding around the corner. Man, I'm sorry if I offended you, but I am here to offend for your good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, South Africans, eh? we're, so, we're so direct. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think, and then I lose my place sometimes, but it's all good. We'll get there somehow. So for me, I never th- 
and now I mean I've completely gone a different direction now. But anyway, we'll get some. We'll get somewhere. I am. Um, for me, the 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 getting hold of getting hold of my mental space. I did it the wrong way, like most people do it. We wait until it's urgent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I was, I think in that first year of founding, I was aware of like, oh, these guys do this. These guys meditate. These guys, you know, are focused on whatever they use. They do breath work or they do the the shaking, which is actually a physiological thing to get stuff out of your body and all of that stuff. I went to therapy for a few months, which helped a little, but uh, not to brag on her, this is her company umbrella project find her on instagram she uh but my wife did one session with me that unlocked more than anything mm. you know so it's just a matter of finding the right way to do this so there's a bit of trial and error is what i'm saying in it and you've got to shape your days according to who you are you need to think about productivity that also makes you feel like you're living in your purpose mm. and if you're not able to find purpose in the productivity that you're producing and you've asked all the questions, then it's probably time for a change. And what I mean by all the questions is it doesn't necessarily have to be a job that makes you feel good, but if you can see that you have purpose in being there to connect with those around you, for example, or to help Susie with a difficult conversation at the water cooler that day, or perhaps the product you create does affect lives, but you're just on the production line or something like that. If we can just think beyond ourselves sometimes that serves us well so when i have to do admin that i hate i have to think about people using capsule and saving their memories you know and how meaningful that is for them and for generations to come um easier said than done because we i think we are all quite inherently selfish um, yeah. you know but some of the things that have worked for me is recently my most recent change is not thinking in days but thinking in weeks and i don't know if somebody did this whatever I, I i'm like this michael like i try to i don't i don't i don't try to stay in the mainstream of what everybody's learning and then try and adopt it i generally try to take pieces and not be told too much but discover the journey for myself hmm. and so i found myself increasingly frustrated with not getting enough done in a day and then i found myself as a ceo really needing space to breathe and think and to have vision and a lot of the best ideas come to me when I'm on the treadmill or when I'm on the golf course or or or, the, or those spaces, you know. Now, obviously, that all has to be managed, but you do need them. And it's very tempting when you're busy to not have them. And so I started thinking in weeks. And the reason I did that is because I'd wake up on a Monday, for example, and I'd feel completely overwhelmed with what was lying ahead and the position of the company. And I realized that the work I was getting – done in those days was not only not productive but not fulfilling to me and so i started playing with the the concept of okay well let me take the morning to just create headspace and then i found i could do three or four hours in the afternoon of intense focused work that the production level was much higher than if i just sat behind my laptop the whole day and then i started integrating that into my week and i'd go okay well these are the things that i absolutely have to get done this week and these are the things that i'd like to get done uh, this week and I'll plan my week out. So if I take Monday off because I feel shit, it doesn't matter. I just know that I hold myself accountable to get those things done in that week. But I, if I can do them in the time where I am mentally, emotionally and physically aligned, 
and I can be my best self in that time. And it doesn't go for every task. Some are dictated to you by the timelines, right, and meetings and such. But if I can find those sweet spots and really use them, then I use them. But it also means that if I feel that sweet spot come up in a day that I thought I was taking off, but I'm really like, ah, I really want to get this done, then I should go do it because it will mm-hmm. fulfill me even though it's an off day. Mm-hmm. I heard something recently, and this is through my wife as well, one of the pages that we follow, I'll have to find his name, but there's a gentleman who's got a, a motivational type space and he said, it's okay to be obsessed with something. It's okay. And I think for founders and, and small business owners particularly, I think the, the, the tasks can overrun you. But it's, I think if you can understand it's okay to be obsessed with something, if you, if you want to bring this thing to the world – don't get too strict with like, oh, well, these are my hours or I hate mm-hmm. this thing. It takes all my time. And oh, I used to love – it's okay to be obsessed. And I adopted that in a time where I was really not very fond of working in our company. And it switched a light bulb like that. And actually, that's why I have this yellow bracelet because I actually bought this a couple of weeks ago because I thought if I'm going to be obsessed, I'm going to – I want something to remind me that it's okay to be obsessed. I can live and breathe this thing. And it's all right. And I actually, I've found more enjoyment uh, since then. But yes, I have added things like meditation. There's an app to shout out an app. There's an app called Unplug. Probably the first app that I've ever tested for two days and then subscribed. Uh, Just absolutely phenomenal job that the guys have done there. And you can feel the difference in your day. And that's important. It's one of our things. When you get off the capsule app, our app for saving your memories, you should also feel something. You should feel peace. You should feel valued you should feel like you've saved that memory and it's good but they've done a great job so i use the unplugged app i try to do that twice a day and then exercise man i i I know some of some of you are listening going yeah here it is again exercise exercise we are physiologically built for this to exercise and your head cannot be clear without exercise i'm convinced of it Mm -hmm. you know a few things i mean you know yeah there are I, i plus one both of those i think meditation and exercise are vitally important and they're really basic human needs that sometimes we lose touch with given the demands economically and professionally in our in our lives but there's there's a saying that's coming to mind for me i don't know if you've heard this one before but i I think it's really common for founders and and people who are really driven professionally that i don't have time to meditate and I, i heard a saying if you don't have five minutes to meditate you probably need five hours to meditate which, yeah. which means to me, yeah. yeah, like if you don't think you have enough time in your day to take five, you, you probably need to unplug even more than you ever possibly imagined. And I know that's been true for me too, is that when I feel like I'm on the hamster wheel and the next move, like I feel exhausted and I feel like the next move is to do 10 more things, I've learned that the, the real black belt move is to actually just like take an hour away, do, do nothing for an hour. At least that's what works for me. Everyone's uniquely different. But Interesting. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's, that's been true for me. Well, I, I think it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I find that interesting. I, I, it, it is true. It is true. And uh, I, it's, it's very difficult to prescribe, right? Like that's, yes. that's what you're saying because everybody is so different, but I do think that this is something vital for our time with people. There are a lot more people doing remote work and you know, you can stay in, the, I can stay in this house for a week and never leave it. Yeah. And, and then feel so disconnected mm-hmm. from not only humanity, but from nature and from myself and, mm-hmm. and such. And you, you do, you definitely feel like a prisoner 
And you're not going to feel a prisoner of your own home. You're going to feel a prisoner of the task you're working on. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to become sour. So another thing I've done is I make sure that I take the dogs for a walk in the park every morning. Mm -hmm. Lucky them. I mean, our dogs are spoiled brats. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I stopped seeing it as a task for them. And I started seeing it as a joy for me when I can breathe fresh air because I'm healthy to do so. When I can walk because I can, you know. And it's honestly, again, man, it's like it's 10, 15 minutes, you know. When you talk about meditating, it's such a stigmatized word to so many. But it's nothing more than rewiring your mind in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Now, you think about all the ways that your mind is wired in an unhealthy way without your consent every single minute. Don't you think that you need a reboot, a reboot from time to time? Like, you need to. So, you know. If you feel a difference from something, then great. But what I love about meditating, and it's not, I should say, it's not spiritual meditation. It's, it's, it's mental meditation. Not that there's anything wrong with spiritual meditation. I think that's the way we're supposed to connect with the divine primarily anyway. Some call it prayer. But I think if you can see it as a task, like meditation is not like you turn it on and then you're good at it. You know, you just lie there and it does it for you. It's magical. It's not. It's difficult to start. Yeah. Right. When we talk about 10 minutes, people are like, oh, what'll 10 minutes do? It's like, dude, the goal is not 10 minutes. The goal is not even an hour. The goal is to train yourself to engage in a space that's mentally healthy that you won't want to leave that space. Mm -hmm. I can struggle for eight minutes of a meditation, but those last two minutes, by the time the end comes, I'm like, please leave me alone. I want to sleep here, man. Come on. But you got to get up and go do your day. And and then you feel motivated, you feel fresh to do it. So, you know, I think seeing some of these things that we have notoriously been taught, frankly, we've been conditioned by the previous generation to see work as a very difficult, it should be an arduous thing. And when we relate work to tasks that can help us, like it's work to meditate, it's work to take the dogs for a walk. You know, I'm busy. I've got to get going on this. I need to get going on that. So your brain is not even centered on what you need to do, never mind who you need to be you know, which is what people are actually going to value. But if you can see it as a joy, a pursuit that I'm going to learn how to meditate and I'm going to see how far I can go with this thing. I'm going to see how deep I can get on this thing. I'm going to see how my brain's going to rewire. And what you're going to see is you treat yourself differently and you mm -hmm. treat others differently. You treat the world differently. I mean, it's almost preaching a gospel now, but yeah, these are the realities of the construct of the human body that is so intricate and powerful. And if we can just learn to use it, all the ways that we weren't taught to use it, and we are discovering to use now, those are your superpowers. Yeah. You know, those are your superpowers. And so why wouldn't you want to build your superpowers? It makes sense to me. Reach it away, brother. I'm all you about know? that. Yeah. Yeah. So this seems like a good segue into what you're doing at Capsule, right? Because, I mean... One of the reasons that our brain is so distracted and, and we have these unwanted things flying in left and right. I've heard someone say our phones have basically become, they're like walking slot machines. I mean, we are constantly bombarded with different distractions. And tech startups are like you at Capsule, they're disruptors. Like you want to change the way that we are doing the digital engagement game and content engagement game. And so I'm just, I'm wondering if you could speak just a little bit to how 
we currently as a society, even as global species, how we're engaging with content and how you see capsule fitting at, I, I mean, I'm teeing up a big thing here and you can, yeah. you can run with it. But I think this is where we want to spend the focal point of the conversation. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, it is a big, it's a, it's a huge conversation and there are many voices out there about it. And you should know that I, um, uh, not, actually, not I, but nobody is the expert on this. Mm-hmm. Nobody's expert. If we could just be humble enough to understand that for the last 15 years, we have experimented with online digital content. We didn't have this in our world when we were kids. You know, how ludicrous would it be to think that the first version of social media creation is the version that we should live with for the rest of our lives? Mm-hmm. It's insane. If you think about it that way, it's absolutely bizarre that we haven't had version two come out yet. The problem is, you know, when we start, let me, let me back up. When we started this company, we were really focused on legacy. We understood that there are fewer people posting stuff, but there are also fewer people saving photographs in shoeboxes or in photo albums to pass on and such. They're on our phone. We lose our phones. Stuff gets deleted. We, we lose stuff. But even the photographs and the shoeboxes of the photos could be lost in fires and such and not passed on to you if you're not the favorite, the favorite child, you know. So, which is quite a real, <laughs> not that I'm not, I'm not the favorite child, but our family has other things that I know I'm not getting those photo albums, you know, and it's very sad. You lose all those memories, you lose those insights, you lose that wisdom that needs to be passed on. I would love to hear my grandfather speak now. I think I said this last time we spoke because he was an orphan that became a, a high-powered CEO in South Africa. And now being a CEO myself, I'd love to hear his insights, you know, but he passed many years ago. None of that's recorded. For the first time in history, we live in a time where we could record our insights and wisdom in a way that can actually be passed on indefinitely to multiple audiences. You know, that's powerful if you think about it. Now, just think about your value of self. There are 8 billion people on this planet. No, no two are alike. It's impossible. It's impossible that two people have the same physiological makeup, have responded to situations exactly the same, have had the same, whatever, you can go as deep as you want, same life experiences, same journeys, same decisions, whatever. Impossible. Which means that every single person is highly unique and highly valuable. And that if you think that you don't have a story to tell, let me tell you, you have value in your stories. The only thing is you haven't learned that you have value. You haven't learned that your content, because you're not an influencer, actually does still have value, you know? And the reason you haven't learned that is because we have been conditioned quite deliberately for the last 15 years to engage in our online content in a very specific way. And that specific way has been for a specific cause, and that is for that company to profit from you. If you think platforms are free, let me tell you, you're paying a higher price than if you pay a dollar amount for a platform. Because you, if you haven't seen, there's a documentary called The Great Hack. Fantastic and absolutely terrifying. How you're, if, if everybody's like, oh, they take my data, so what? If you watch that and you understand that if we look at the situation that happened in Myanmar with so many people getting slaughtered, that was deliberately positioned by a particular social media company's rhetoric in order for that to, to experiment at turning 
people against each other. That has been done in our political systems. It has been done in our religious systems. And we have been echo chambered individually and in small groups in order to be controlled around these systems. And given to that, and this is not conspiracy. This is factual. This is all, it's all been done. And if you think it's conspiracy, just wait another week and you'll see there's another conspiracy that's debunked because all the things that we thought were conspiratorial are no longer really. So, you know, but at the end of the day, you, you have been conditioned to be controlled, but also to be sold. So your data is sold to the highest bidder. And those bidders are not only marketers and advertisers that are trying to show you the next best product to buy. And that's fine. Some of us like the idea of being tracked so that we can get presented with the best products that we like. And that's fine. But while you're getting presented with one particular product, there might be a startup or something else out there with a different product that doesn't have the money to buy your data and position that product to you. And that company might have a human focus, might have an ethic and a morale that you really want to support, but you'll never know about it. And that's only on the purchasing product side. The absolute problem with what has happened goes beyond the selling of our data. And it goes to the way that we have been conditioned to engage in our content. And the reason we have been conditioned to engage so superficially in our content is because when you're selling data, you need as much data as possible. And so a flick through things is important. A stop, a swipe back, a tap, a like. These things are important, but we need to get as many as we can. And so when you engage with your content superficially in that way and you're feeding that beast, what happens to you is you stop recognizing the value of the content that you are trying to save. And you put that content up under conditioning so that other people can like it, so that you can get value from other people's um, responses to that. When that doesn't happen, we know that we have found ourselves in places that are lonelier, more desperate, more depressed, less connected, more divisive. No, we don't have to prove this. Just walk outside. Just wait till the elections start kicking off again. Mm. There's more than enough evidence for you. So... In that time of engaging in our content, superficially, when we post a picture of our latest frothy coffee, because we think our barista is so amazing at making palm trees, just understand that that has way less value than turning the phone around and going, I'm having coffee with Mike today, and we're talking about this. Mike, what was that thought that you said? Wow, that's incredible, man. So cool. Just remember that. And I put that in a capsule for you and I, or wherever you save your meaningful stuff, which I guarantee you probably don't right now because this is probably, this is quite new to all of us. But we would look back on that memory one day and instead of flicking past a frothy coffee, we'd go, yeah, man, remember that coffee? Remember we spoke about this and now look what's happened since then. Whoa, this is crazy, man. You know, now that in that moment gives our relationship dignity and value. But in recording even deeper stories, say you sit with your phone and you just record to yourself in first person some of the stories of your life, you are going to recognize your self-worth, your own value, right? And if you can recognize your own value, which you will do in recording your stories because you'll realize the way you think, you'll realize other story memories that are related that you've long forgotten, you'll realize that we're not just living for this unrealistic future, right? We're living from a real past where we have overcome, where we have learned, where we have driven, where we have connected with people. When we see that, we understand our value. We will understand the value of those around us. 
and we'll connect in the physical world outside of the online platforms in a different way as well. But you have to first understand the contrast that you have been conditioned. <laughs> we have all been conditioned to engage in this. And many people are going, oh, I don't want to be on social media anymore and this and that. Yeah, you're right. You are right. But social media is not the problem. The problem is how we have engaged in content. And so, so you need the space to do that, to engage in a healthy way and recognize the value of your life, the value of your, of your stories. And, uh, you know, you probably find yourself not posting so many of the superficial things. If you do, there's platforms for that. Go put that on, on Instagram or something. But if you have a meaningful memory, find a space like Capsule. There are others being developed as well to save those memories, you know, because we need to change inherently within us how we engage in our content so that it values us, it values those around us, and it values generations to come by passing on that wisdom and insight to them, which we are not doing at the moment. And if we don't, it will be dictated. This is a major human, human problem, Michael. This is a, we, we are leaving a gap in history, but we are, when we speak about mental health and things, this is a fundamental reality that is destroying lives, separating families, destroying friendships. Uh, uh, this can all be reversed. We can reverse all of this. We just mm -hmm. need to help people see it and engage in, in, a, in a healthy way. This is why I did that solo episode on parenting, man, because it's a lot of what I see out there. And, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, but a lot of a lot of what you see out there is there's a newborn and you take really cute pictures of the newborn, you share pictures of the newborn. Those get the most likes. It becomes this inevitability that if I, if I post something raw, it's going to get less likes, less engagement with, say, Instagram or Facebook. And so... We're then conditioned, like you said, to post more really cute pictures and, and the frothy coffee and, and all that stuff. It gets more engagement for whatever reason with the superficiality of it. And I, I did this solo episode about the raw toughness and challenges of parenthood because that is more meaningful to me. That's like, that in, in a way, that's what being a human is all about. Being a human isn't a, a perfect frothy coffee with the palm tree. <laughs> yes. Being, being a human is full of, it, there's way more depth and richness there, right? It's, it's the conversation, like you pointed to, it's the conversation that happened over the coffee or maybe the, you know, the hard lesson you learned that day that you can then record on your phone and say, you know, I, I didn't know this until today. I, at least I never felt it before and, and such and such happened. And I'm, I'm now realizing. For me, you know, we, we both actually learned this in a way today. We probably learned it before, but sleep matters a lot. You know, today was a tough day. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't sleep well and it's, it's been a little harder to get through the day. And I've had, I've had moments I'm not proud of and there's new ways I need to take care of myself. I want to record this down and store it and save it so that I remember it. That's yeah. way more useful to me, right? Than me, you know, taking a, a cute photo of my matcha tea in the morning. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, yeah. it's just a curated way to look at life. It's missing so much of the three dimensionality of, of what it means to really be human. And that's why I'm a big fan of what you're creating at, at Capsule. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the way we've approached it from, from day one. And, you know, I have, I've already been to the, to the celebrity status in life i've already been to you know things that people would dream about doing and i'm not pursuing that anymore you know we're not building this company to be wealthy Th that will be a nice side effect why wouldn't it be why shouldn't we want to build a company that is 
successful. You know what comes with money, man? <laughs> Influence. You get a voice. You know, you get a voice into things. I, I don't want to be on the couch just complaining about things. I want to be up there with my voice being heard with wisdom and insight for the human race. That's, that's where I want to be. You know, and not everybody wants to be there, and that's fine. But at least support, support the healthy direction of humanity, you know. And I think it's exactly right, man. You discover your humanity in your stories. You do. Where, where else do you? I mean, you do discover them in moments. But let's be honest. Moments are nothing more than the elements that create memories. Mm-hmm. And memories are where we find our value. And those are memories or stories, whatever you want to call them. I, I do. I do want to. I do want to say this. You, you mentioned, you know, baby pictures and stuff. One of the things that we have users speaking to us about, and I hate the word users. I hate the word users. Users, the, the word is used for addiction. You know, it's like. But we have struggled. What do we replace this with that people understand? But if yeah. you, if you, if you're one of our customers or one of our customers, a better word for us, but to get it across, but a customer on our app because we we are here to serve you. As a platform, that's what we're here for. We are here to create create a space for you, to serve you, and we should consider your well-being, your family's well-being, your mental health, your content's well-being. That's what we need to consider. But when you speak about kids, we have a lot of a lot of users that speak to us about how they find the joy of Capsule being that they they don't want to put pictures of their kids up on current social media platforms. Because they don't want the kids' faces manipulated, especially with advents like AI and such coming out. And they don't want their kids' voices or faces or whatever used. And that's the one side of it. And I agree with that. The other side of it is that we have parents that say they don't want to put their kids' faces up because they want their kid to have the opportunity to choose when their digital persona becomes public. And I think that is a, a really great thought, you know, mm-hmm. really fantastic. Now, I don't think it, it, it counts as much for babies. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe I'm just ignorant on that as for, as for a certain age. But I, I do like that about what we've built is that you can still save those meaningful memories privately. We don't even look at them. And you can put those in private capsules. And then you can give that to your kids one day. And they can decide when they want to put their face out there, you know. So I do, I do think there's something to a world that became something where we all know everybody's business regaining some privacy because there is a lot of not only protection and power, but uh, there, are, there, there is some pricelessness in our privacy. Yeah. There's also, I mean, something I'm in touch with as we're speaking here. I think that it's a, especially as you go up higher on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we live in an abundant world where, you know, a lot, there are some people who don't have the privilege of saying this, but most of us that if you're listening, you're probably one of the privileged few. You have your basic needs met, you're fed, you're sheltered, et cetera. We all have a drive for real, sincere authenticity. And social media as it currently stands, it, I think we're starving for that. That if we only share our, our highlight, our curated highlight reel, that it gets a certain amount of likes, but we're not, it doesn't meet our drive to be fully seen. And, and one yes. of the things I'm hearing is that we can, in an app like Capsule, and privacy is a really cool way to navigate this because you can be fully seen without, you know, being fully seen by all the, all the eyeballs and, and, uh, having to worry about how many likes is this going to get and, and what's the engagement going to be. 
Yeah. So it kind of removes that barrier. And I've always been in touch, not maybe not always, but in the last five years or so, I've, I've been really conscious of how important it is for me to meet that drive. And, and if I don't, that's how I feel super disconnected and lonely and like starving for this, this authenticity. Yeah, I, I think that's, that is such a big topic on its own, man. You know, I mean, you go to wonder, we, we sort of, did it sort of through a throwaway statement before we started recording that just how hard it must be for influencers, you know, yeah. like that's a tough life. I mean, it's got to be a tough life, you know, and, and in my, in my humble opinion, influencers don't hate me because I'm here to help not to hurt. We are constantly thinking of new healthy spaces for you guys, but you know, it's a dying industry, especially with the advent of AI. Uh, it is a dying industry unless we can make it authentic. Authenticity is what will what will save it. You speak about Maslow. I mean, it's 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 so fascinating. Like, you know, the need to be known. Yeah. You know, and and we throw that away because we don't really know what that means anymore. The need to be known. You know, it's it's concerning that we throw big uh, items away like that. When you know we look at civilizations that were so successful, the Greeks, the Romans. I mean, both empires fell as any empire can. We'd be deluded to think that that ours couldn't. But, you know, when you look at that, they would hover around these deep thoughts. They would have people supported financially to, to work out these deep thoughts. Thinking was a role that was so intricate to human life, you know, that was highly valued. They were the greatest, they were the most renowned people, the thinkers, the philosophers, you know. Uh, and nowadays, it's, unless it's tied to, to selling my product, um, you know, we shape the messaging uh, differently. But the need to be known is important. And, and yes, you're right. We feel that privacy gives you that space for to be known. Uh, it's one of the reasons we, we don't have any public-facing comments or public likes or anything like that. Because, well, public likes are the superficiality, and we know there's a physical debilitation from it. So it's actually a good word for it. So we don't have any of that. We have a public feed for the time being that'll probably disappear at some point into a featured feed or something like that. We can feature our nonprofits, feature our partners, things like that. But even on the public feed as it stands right now, there is no engagement from it. It's really more for encouragement. Think of it, think of it like a magazine, really, right? So, but pe we can see people haven't figured out. And if you go on the app today, you'll see it's messy. People haven't really figured out what that space is. It was kind of an experiment for us. But... To be known in a private capsule, we created private comments. And so when you upload a, a, a meaningful memory to a capsule and you share that capsule with friends or family, they get notified that so-and-so wants to share a memory with you, but they can then comment on that memory. So what happens is you don't have the town square and shout out to Elon and X and that's great. Let's have a town square. I'm all for a town square. That's fine. But when it comes to your, your meaningful stuff, in the private space, if you're commenting with people who value you and value that memory as well, you are going to have deeper connection and deeper conversation about that. And you are going to be known and know those others on a much better level. And, um, and that's, that's really a, a core thing that we trying to focus on. Cause, you know, we do see social media has, for the most part, is consumer focused now. It may as well be a, it may as well, may as well be a shopping page. I mean, I saw a video the other day of a girl. Actually, my wife had just said this to me, and then about three minutes later, I saw this video come through of a girl speaking about how she's noticed people just look at her stuff on social. They don't react anymore. They don't comment. They don't like. They're just like, it's kind of like people are just spying on you, mm -hmm. you know, 
And so it's going to its next stage of unhealthy now. And that is also in the space that is proving it out as a consumer-based platform where you go to find things you like, find things you want to buy, such and such, you know. Yeah. It's also something that's coming to me right now is the way like the way that social media contributes to polarization with the the ways that you might attention grab. And and what I mean by that is on YouTube, I haven't looked at this in a while, but if you if you look at the words that get the most searches, it's the the negative strong language. Like person gets pulverized or crushed or you know, it's words like that. And and the more nuanced and deeper thoughtful way of interacting it's it's harder you know we we were just talking again i we're we're weaving in a lot of the stuff that we spoke about before recording because i think that we already covered so much juicy stuff before jumping on but yeah it's hard you know i create long form content that's my preference i like going long deep i think that the rich exploration what we're doing right now is just a it's way more appealing to me. Yeah. It helps me grow as a thinker and, and someone who's always learning, growing. And it's hard, you know, cause on YouTube, that's not the way to get the most eyeballs. And so I, I constantly, as a content creator, I'm, I'm grappling with, do I, you know, do I reduce it down to 60 second sound bites because those get the most views? And yeah, it's, you know, the way that we engage currently, it, it puts us, it confronts us with these challenges of how do I get seen by more eyeballs instead of how can I be seen as, as me? Ooh, that's really hard to do on social media, man, to be seen as you. It's, it's really, that's, many have tried and failed. You know, many have tried and, and taken the abuses of it to the point that it's not good for their mental health anymore it's just not it's just not healthy when you when you look at social media especially in that regard and from that angle and you consider where mainstream media has gone nowadays and how little trust there is in mainstream media well all the all the mechanics that you're speaking about will lead social media to exactly the same space if if it isn't there already but can you trust like this thing is hyped up beyond what it needs to be well that's the same thing that the, the same influencer clip or even just standard post on social media that's that's hyped up to get your attention is the same thing that the mainstream media do. You know, it's it's not like we it's not like we can complain about that thing and live in the other one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the same mechanic. It's it's attention grabbing. The greatest economy in the world right now is time. Not money. Time. And it probably always has been, you know, but it's actually a tangible economy now that everybody's fighting for. And isn't that so opposite to to the value proposition for humanity? Because time is not our greatest asset when we sit together in a room and talk or when we do this long form. Our greatest pursuit here is value. Our greatest pursuit here is actually not even value. It's actually connection. Mm. And from there comes value. And you see the problem is with that is that connection has become a choice and in the sense that we, are di- we, we, again, we are largely dictated to about the people we should connect with and the people we shouldn't connect with. That might be you. You're a red person. You shouldn't connect with a blue person. You know, uh, this is bizarre for me living in America. Um, South Africans, we talk about um, our differences openly. We can have a stand-up argument about it. But then we can go, hey, bro, we're both South Africans, all good. See you later at dinner or whatever, you know. America's strength of agree to disagree is out the door. 
You know, we need to get that back. How do we get that back? Well, we have to change our metric. Our metric is not time. Our metric is connection. And so the world needs connection right now. And, you know, it's hard to, it's actually hard to think back and think that we lived through a, a pandemic, a global pandemic. And, and whatever your belief system is, if that was a created pandemic or actually happened or somebody ate a bat or whatever you want to believe, I have no issue. And if you want to get vaccinated or not vaccinated or whatever, it's fine. Whatever you want to do, all good. You do you, boo, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the, real, the reality is that the manipulation, no matter the source, was that we are more divided than ever. And I don't believe that to be true. I think, I think we're being told that a lot. But I think we are possibly lazier around that than ever. I think we have been manipulated into not connecting how we used to connect. I also think that we're going through a massive change of era. And when you go through a massive change of era, you do, uh, it's very difficult. You look at the Roman age changing era. Look at the Greeks changing era. You have to basically rediscover a new world that you're living in and how to live in it. Uh, and how to connect and such. And I think that gives platform for what we're building because without these ills, we probably wouldn't be building what we're building, you know. But I think the pursuit needs to be connection and it needs to be relentless on that front. And that connection needs to be based purely on the fact that we are human. We are the fabric of society. We are here living on this planet, enjoying this planet, looking after this planet, looking after each other, our banners should rise with empathy and love and mm. things like that. Is this not a humanity we want to live with? Is this not where we want our kids to grow up in? I mean, the pursuit of technology alone, and this is absolutely hypocritical coming from somebody building a tech company, but our focus is not tech. Our focus is humanity. But the, the emphasis on technology and how far we can take it is a massive downfall, massive downfall. How can we put so much energy and, and commitment into building technology while we are discounting our human connectedness so much? We're doing a bad job. And what will future, future centuries, millennia of people say about us in this time? Man, speaking right to my soul with empathy, love, connection. And I, I wrote down that phrase, the relentless pursuit of connection. I fucking love that. Oh, well, let me have it, mate, because I say these things all the time and I can't remember what the hell I said. So it's good to have it recorded for a change, you know? <laughs> hey, man, it's, it'll probably, it might be one of the snippets I create from this episode. It, it's probably going to be in the title of the episode. So it'll, yeah. it'll last forever, man. I'm yeah. wondering, you know, one of the things that you had teed up and you, you gave me beautiful talking points to look at in the preparation of this conversation. So I appreciate that. And if we look at connection as the focal point, like scaling connection, you, you, you sent me, you wanted to talk about what a scaled ethical tech company might look like. And what, what I'm hearing is you're scaling for connection. So what does a scaled tech company that is scaling for connection vis-a-vis -vis capsule look like? Yeah, I, I, I sent you that question. It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart man. I, I mean, it's a great question. We, we, you know, we're trying to discover it. It's a pursuit. We have the, we have the fortune of seeing what an, many unethical tech companies look like. And so that does help us form uh, some start points on that. Um, if I be, uh, I'm going to anywhere, but if I may be so bold, I would say that as with anything in life, 
it does come down to the leadership that that forms the foundation of it. The decisions that we made in the beginning of this company still hold true, and that I actually sent. I'll read. I'll read a message to you that I sent to our team this morning. Um, oh, yeah. I was I was feeling a little bit down this morning, having not had much sleep, and I've seen my team is a little bit tired this week, and so I just sent them this message. And it's what I believe I actually was reading it back to my wife and halfway through, I actually had tears and I had to give it to her to read because I do believe that hopefully I make it through this stuff. <laughs> I shouldn't have done this. But anyway, I just said, hey, team, I have noticed that we are all a little tired this week, each for different reasons, and that's okay. However, I want you to remind you that we have come a long way in a short time. We have stayed true to our standards. We have defended our ethics. We have not let circumstances change us. We are still solving the problem we set out to solve. We're a collection of smart, driven, resilient people, smart enough to solve a major human problem, too resilient to fail, too driven to be stopped. A world in recession needs connection. We have a remarkable role to play in history, right now, with every day of work that we do. Every unicorn has had this journey. Our struggle is the confirmation. We hold a million dollar app in our hands. Think about that. An asset that will change lives forever, including each of ours and our families. We know it. Now, we must just let others know it too. We've got this, guys. We've got this. And I think that is that is what it takes. It takes making decisions up front that you're willing to stick to no matter what. And so, an ethical tech company, for me, one of the things that I had as a post-it and I don't have it anymore because I feel like we outlived it because it's in our DNA now, was to always put people over product. I, I think it's the antithesis of, of how, how often people become the product, like I explained earlier. And so we are, we are hell-bent on not, on not looking at things that way. Every, when we talk about ethics, every feature we build, we look at how this will enrich somebody's life. And how it will enrich connection, not how it will turn into a dollar, right? When we look at um, requests from from users or people using the app, we look at it as in: is that something that has ethically gone awry before? Are we not going to build it, or are we going to rebuild it a different way? We're not just going to build because it's been requested, because honestly, we don't know what we need until it's presented to us. Often, you know, it looks like. When we spoke about our go-to-market strategy and we decided to go through nonprofit organizations, which frankly has been very difficult and, and hit and miss, it's difficult to communicate with organizations that are themselves uh, understaffed, underfunded. Um, you know, you, you, you're vying for their time to reach their members. You're working around the respect for HEPA regulations and things like that. But it, it comes to where a company like us is willing to build that into the architectural documentation of the formation of the company so that it cannot be removed. So that 12.6% of our revenue goes to selected, user-selected nonprofits. 12.6%. I mean, you show me a company that's, that's, that's got that built into their architecture. I'm not bragging on us. I'm saying more should do it. Like we can, this is where you start thinking about humanity. You start thinking about connection. You start thinking about these things, you know, you start thinking about, wow, could we be the company that is one of the largest nonprofit donors um, within the next five to eight years, talking about billions of dollars going back to nonprofits, where they don't have to worry about finding more money or running the next scrape by event to serve the people in need, but they're looking for more people in need to serve because they have so much freaking money. 
you know? Can we be part of that change? And how do we get there? You know, and then you start speaking about things that are that are not just word of mouth and not just – well, not word of mouth, but not just lip service, right? Where we go, you know what? We don't want to do likes because we want you to feel more connected. And we don't want to sell your data and we don't want to you know, give you advertising and this and that in order for us to be a profitable company. Well, okay, cool. If we're going to say that, let's contract it. Let's put it in our let's put it in our contracts with our users. And so we did that. You know? So I think ethics often start at the at the grassroots like that. But then your ethics are tested by the struggle. And that's why the struggle is good, you know, and that's why the struggle proves out if what you're building is actually what you said you were going to build. And if you are staying true to it. And I feel like we've been radically tested and we and that's why it says in that in that piece we stayed true to what we what we set out to do and we stayed true to our ethics and we stood firm despite what many have told us to change. So I think for every company it's a little bit different. But I think I think it starts with sitting down with yourself and maybe doing a retrospective of of what you want to be known for one day, what you want your company to be known for, what is the mark you want to leave on the world and what are the values that surround that. Mm-hmm. And then living to those values no matter what. You know, we we for example and we have to protect that to the highest level, you know. So, for example, we there has been money we've turned down in the past from sources that we didn't feel were ethical from other nations, no need to name names, but they just have a different cultural construct and it didn't ethically align with us. But it's the same reason we – well, one of the reasons. I don't know if VCs would fund us right now. I mean, VCs seem to be very, very set in their ways, which are very old school and I understand the give back they need to give to their portfolio clients and such. But, you know, when you talk about innovation, changing the world and stuff, it's really hard to see people, um, to get people over the hurdle of return of, of investment, even if you can prove that. But being early stage, it's very hard to and get them across to, okay, let's get into this value-driven proposition for humanity. And I know that's it's, it's a difficult, it's even a hard thing for me to sell because it's it just, it, it sounds so ethereal and stuff, but damn, in a perfect world, it would be true, you know, <laughs> like, I'd be able to pitch them on how we can change the planet and, and that invest. But the point, the, the point I'm actually trying to make here is we are not even interested in VC money, in venture capital money, where, you know, we really should be pursuing venture capital money. But the reason for that is simple. We want to keep control of our company. We want to be able to make the ethical decisions that we believe are right. And we want to stay too true to what we promised user number one when they came on the platform. Let's see if I can land the plane on all the reflections I have because there's a, there's a few things coming up for me. So one, I just want to reflect back. It's really refreshing to hear in a world where a lot of times we are reduced to users and consumers that you are saying things like, people over product and you're talking about ethics and that you're putting pen to paper and, and legalese around what you espouse. That's really refreshing to hear. So I wanted to say that there's a book. I don't know if you've heard of the book called the soul of money, but no, there's a, that one down. there's a story when you're, when you're talking about raising money from venture capitalists and really being aligned with your values. And, and this, I think, plays into ethics and integrity. There's a story in the book of the woman is a fundraiser for an organization called the Pachamama Alliance. They do incredible work in 
with climate change and deforestation and, and really doing powerful work for the planet. She tells a story of a time she gave a talk to the women of not a lot of means, but there was, and there was a woman who had not more than like $50 to her name who wrote her a check for $25 because of her commitments to the work that she was doing. And she said how powerful that $25 was. That was a woman who, from a place of deep alignment, said, yes, I believe in you. Here's $25. And the energy of that transaction was different than the one that I'm about to share, where a big corporation, I don't know the name, I don't even know if it's mentioned in the book, was under fire and needed to kind of check a box. Like they're, they're doing, you know, we donated money to this organization. And the author, Lynn Twist, got the vibe that it was a check the box type of transaction. And she sent that money back. It was, I think it was $50,000. He said that $25,000 that was from a place of alignment meant way more to me that carried way more energy than the $50,000 from the guy who just wanted to save face and make sure that the corporation <clears throat> didn't go underground. And to boot, the, the crazy part of the story is that guy came back to her years later and wrote a check for, I think it was 10 times the amount from a place of alignment and said, thank you for that lesson. I, I learned a lot that day when you sent me back that money. It forced me to look inwards about what I value. And man, those choices are fucking hard to make. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're hard. And, and I really, yeah. I desire to be that person. Like that's a, that's a really yeah. powerful place to be. But you see that she didn't make that decision in the moment, right? She made that decision within exactly. herself for many years ahead of that. And she lived, she, here's, here's the thing, right? You get, you, you decide what kind of person you want to be, you know, once you mature, you don't, you don't, not everybody does, to be honest. But if you mature, you will find, you will find yourself on a road where you want to discover who you want to be. And you make those little decisions and then, the opportunity arises to live that out. And then you either live it out or you don't. And she lived that out, you know, a, a, probably a decision she'd made a long time ago. Yeah. You know, for me, we've got, yeah, we've got, we've got, you know, and I, I, I bag on VCs all the time. I'm yet to meet a VC that will meet me where in this conversation. It's, it's amazing because startups have the amazing world changing ideas, but everybody thinks it's about the money. It, it goes way beyond money. You know, uh, and it and it's very hard, like you said, to turn down money that you feel will advance the company. It's that whole, it's the devil on your shoulder, right? It's like, what do we do for the greater good? Mm-hmm. You know, my difficulty is, I, I mean, I was a, I was a, you know, professional radio and TV host, and yet my hardest thing nowadays is trying to record videos for social media to promote what we're doing. I don't want to be on social media, but you, you know. In some sense, rather the devil, you know, you've got to evangelize there to get people across to something healthy. And it's, it just keeps going like that. Like if you don't want to do email blasts as a company, if you don't want to buy email lists, all that stuff, like yet we, we must understand that we live in a very, a very narrow space of technological advancement when it comes to some things, you know. So we think technology is like, oh, so we live in this techno- technological, no, we really don't. We really don't. When you start looking around, it's still very infant. And so... Some of these things to right the wrongs from the past, you, you really struggle with how we're going to do that. And taking money is one of them, you know. We have investors that are all fantastic. We try to bring them across the line on the mission. Obviously, we're very focused on the return. And even though we'll be a company that gives back so much, we'll be a highly, highly profitable force for the right reasons. Though. 
But I mean, we have we have an investor that gave us money that I know was a tip. I know. You know, I can feel it. They don't know. I I I don't, I don't think they know, but I know. And it's funny how that's the one that sits in you and just sort of niggles a little bit. You know, some people you bring along the journey at a later stage though. And that's okay. So I've had to learn not to be so hard-lined about that sort of thing. Like, you can be very, you can be very strict about your own morals and ethics, and that can cause a detriment to the mass of people that you're trying to reach down the line. And sometimes that is your sacrifice, not mm-hmm. to do anything untoward or to go against the ethic that you have established, but certainly to 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 not let your own personal preferences get in the way of what could be. And sometimes that's even just sitting with with an investor who you don't click with personality-wise, you know. You don't have to. It might be working with someone like that, but you're on a common you're on a common mission. You know, it's very easy to let our own preferences, especially when we're under pressure or when we feel like we're not valued, you know, things like that. So yeah, I mean it's it's not easy, man. It is not easy. The world is not easy at the moment. It's pretty, it's pretty tricky. But I do believe our best years are ahead. You know, I think we've got a lot of people. There's a lot of companies that are that are starting. There are a lot of startups that are doing really great things. The sad thing is they're struggling to get funded, and a lot of them we will not see. And we live. I think people need to understand this. We live at a pivotal time in history where we can actually change the world. It's been said many times that we can actually change it. We have in our grasp the dismantling of organizations and corporations that have held us to to a certain blind fault to this point. But with the advent of how technology comes out, and even social media has played its role in this, and how connection has happened, and even over remote, people are having conversations because a lot of people speak more over Zoom and over FaceTime and stuff now. For the first time in history, we can we can actually affect the things that we've desired, and we can lean towards a more connected humanity, a more caring humanity, a more empathetic humanity, and I believe in doing so, a more fruitful humanity, a more prosperous humanity, in in mental health, in wealth, I believe in the redistribution of wealth, uh, I believe we we can see all that in our lifetime. But it's not going to happen with us sitting on the couch complaining. We need to seek out companies that are doing good. We need to support founders who are living a mission and that, that innovation. And we need to we need to make our voice known against mm. movements and products that do not serve the ethic we are choosing to live by individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here, ma'am. I know that we're kind of pushing. We're pretty pretty close on time boundary. I have a couple of threads that I would like to close, a couple of loops that I, I definitely want to connect the dots on. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about so far, though, that you would like to bring into the conversation now? I mean, firstly, I'm good, man. We can go however long you want. And it's, it's really, it's quite rare to get the long form, which is really nice. I really, I respect you so much for doing the long form stuff because you do, you get to these levels that you just can't get to in, in a short period, you know. I think the things that I've described right now if I can just go back to our product for a moment. Of course. I think that connected humanity is what we're after in Capsule. It's, it's the reason why we do you know, everything that we, that we do, everything we build. I mean, our team is working 
day and night on this. And it's very easy to be swayed into your focus looking at how hard it is sometimes or how much has to be done or even the latest product design or things, which is difficult in itself because, you know, we're building a platform and that's a big deal. We're not building a throwaway app that's like take a two-way picture and then who knows what happens after that. You know, we, we're talking about something that has to last your privacy, your security, your connection, the longevity of your content forever. We have to build that. And so when you release product, it's, it's embarrassing. It should be embarrassing, but it is embarrassing because you know how much you want to build on it and you know the state it's at now. You know, and then you'll pick up, pick it up and use it and it's like, oh, actually, this is actually really awesome. You know, this is actually really great. But it is, and then people want features and they want this and they want that. And it's like, guys, just be on the journey with us, you know, and yeah. we're going to get to it. But be on the journey with us. We need you to just be with us, just be with us in the movement of things. And it's very easy to look at all those things, product or the, or the difficulties or whatever. And that becomes your core focus, you know, addressing issues, fighting fires all the time. And you have to continually pull your core focus back to the value you, you wish to attain and that value is connection. And so I think my challenge is just, I mean, I think there's many challenges I could throw out from this episode, but I think there's a lot of introspective work to do from this discussion. And I think if you're listening, you would do well to to not end this episode and just carry on with your day, but take 10, 15, 20 minutes, just grab a coffee and sit and think, even take a notepad and write down some of the things that have jumped out to you and try to form the value propositions that you want for your life. And I would, I would, I would say that you should put connection as one of those. Um, I would also say you should use the capsule app <laughs> um, and buy our kids book and, and such, such. But I think just, that is the most human thing you can probably do today is establish what you want to be outside of the noise. Yeah. Everything's trying to tell you to be something. Uh, it, you don't know what the world will be like in a few months' time. So how can you, how can you just carry on with business as usual? Why don't you rather discover who you can be, your potential, set some values, some ethics, some things around that, and live accordingly. You know, go for it. Yeah, man. Beautiful. So here, here are the few things I wanted to get to. And one, you, you started to talk about it. I wanted to talk. Well, there's, there's three things that I'm looking at besides a handsome man. There's three things oh, that the, the handsome man is surrounded by. So happy this is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> well, your shirt, you, you pointed to your shirt before with the umbrella project. It says, know yeah. your worth. And yeah. your hat, if I, I forget exactly. Oh, yeah. in, in the beginning, there were only eight bits. That one is not as clear to me. And, yeah. your, and your book, the, the Secret Life of Oliver Time Flying High. Yeah. We'd love to hear you speak about each of these things. They've been on my mind at various points oh, cool. in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this is my wife's shirt. So uh, my wife was a dancer choreographer for the longest time, still choreographs dance, but she transitioned over to working mindset with dancers and now it's branched out into that and you know her first executive that she works with i'm like this is wasted on on kids man give it to us it's so it's so good she's incredibly good at it and so this is her umbrella project you can follow her on instagram and just really good stuff uh, encouraging stuff positive stuff 
for your mind and oh, know your worth is one of one of her shirts and just aligns. Um, and I, you know, we couldn't do any of this without her. I, I wouldn't be here without her. She's everything. You know, we always joke about the the we crashed uh, we work show on Apple, which is phenomenal. <laughs> but where he says to her, I am nothing without you. <laughs> you know? We always joke about that. I'm like, yeah, I am nothing without you. This is so true. So that's that. This hat, uh, I have a few different patches that go on this hat. And I, uh, you'll have to watch our social media at capsule.app to see those um, just things that I like. But the eight bits, I mean, when we think about technology, you know, and computers, this all started with eight bits of data, you know, everything. And I think, for me, it's a very philosophical statement, actually. That's fun, but it's all, and it's nostalgic for those of us that lived through the modem days and, and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, compact and that whole deal. But I think if we could just recognize that this journey of technology has actually been a very short one and we have let it encapsulate our lives to a very, very large degree, particularly here in America, we should understand that there are nations that live off the land. There are nations that still have to walk miles to get water. You know, there are nations that have to grow their own food. There are nations that do not have food, you know, and they are connected to this planet. And there's great value and great wealth in that. And we would do well to balance technology with understanding that we are human on a physical place that we can enjoy, you know. Um, and so... When we remember it all started with 8-bits, that is not only a very short time ago, but it is just that, 8-bits. Now, you consider what you're made up of. <laughs> you started with more than 8-bits, I'll tell you that. So, you know, your value should be higher than the value you place on any particular platform or any particular man-made thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could go on that for, for ages. And those are the kind of resilience and those are the kind of things I love to do speaking engagements and such about because it's just like if you can just know your value, if you could just know your value, it, it would change you forever. It, it would change the way you do things forever. It would change those around you forever. Every decision would be different. Well, maybe not different, but healthy, settled, certain. So that's that. Capsulami is our little um, – Yellow Llama that bounces around on the app from time to time. She's our mascot because we realize that when you are dealing with legacy and such, it can feel a little bit like one day death will happen, one thing, which is true. I hate to break it to you, but it will come to us all. <laughs> we just needed a bit of light on that. And then this, I, I uh, we have you ever heard the Airbnb story? Uh, okay, I don't think haven't. I have. So I'm, I might get it wrong, but it's something along these lines. Airbnb needed to fill a round of funding in their early days. And it was the time of the Obama and McCain campaigns for presidency. And so they created a serial called Obama's. I think they created McCain's as well, but Obama's sold, sold way more than McCain's. I wasn't living in this country yet, so I don't know enough about it. And I'm going to take the fifth. But um, <laughs> but they created a cereal, which is kind of an on-brand thing to do for Airbnb, the cereal, Morningstar, all that. And they sold so much, it would actually help them fund their company. Wow. And when we, when we were a couple of months into this downturn, we decided, well, I decided that we needed something that could bring the team around it. And one of our other co-founders suggested a, a kid's book. 
And so we decided to go for it. I had a friend out of, out of LA named Corey Eid. This is his first book and he draws. We speak about authenticity a lot. A lot of people are making books that are driven by AI and that's fine. You go do that. We know you just want to sell them. No worries. But this is actually all hand-drawn pencil work. And so this, this gentleman, Corey Eid, could not draw two years ago. Wow. And that is how he draws now. Yeah. And he, he takes commissioned work and everything. I'll send you his IG as well. Or I'll look it up now and give it to you. But this book is all about Oliver Time. Oliver Time is a boy who finds a time capsule in his yard. And in the time capsule, there are little trinkets. And there'll be a different trinket in each series of the book. And that trinket takes him back in a moment in history. This one, he finds an airplane. And he goes back into the cockpit with Amelia Earhart. And Amelia Earhart's statement to him is, you're a little different, aren't you? And he says, yes, I am. And she says, I'm a little bit different too, but don't let that stop you. And the whole value proposition is that you can be a little bit different because you can add value to the world through your difference. And so we set out to create a series of books that can hopefully help fund our company. So please do go and buy the book. Barnes & Noble is the hard cover. The soft cover is Amazon. And it also has like behind the scenes, you can click on a QR code and go to behind the scenes capsule. Uh, on the app so you can see the author oh, speaking about stuff and all the pictures that he drew from and when he went to visit the the plane yard with the plane and got in the plane and all that stuff is there so very cool behind the scenes type stuff but outside of us looking to fund this this really is a model for us of who we are as a company you know that we care about the next generation we care about the value proposition of every person's individual story we care about history and that it should be recorded and the things we can learn from it and we also care about parents not having to read the same book every night that is mind-numbingly boring to them because it's about a pink blob or whatever it is. <laughs> this, you, you will actually enjoy reading this book. And, uh, and parents, you will actually be challenged as well from reading this book. So, so, you know, it's kind of part of the ecosystem we're creating. It seems absolutely ludicrous for an app company to, to do a book and then a podcast and then build an ecosystem with partners that should be competitors often but you know at the end of the day um i think that defines that we are we are looking for what's best for humanity um be it through what we do or how we can support others but we we are out to earn people's trust and i think putting yeah. things like that out um with value propositions like that and saying hey this is who we are in a product like that hopefully will earn their trust for us to store their valuable memories on the app forever and and the, the goal of capsule actually is not is not just a platform and an app as we know it. We are bringing people into that space because we understand what a platform and an app is in our age. But ultimately, the goal of Capsule will be 100% automation of the collection and curation and possibility of your memories. And we know how we're going to do that and we know what partners we will use for that and we won't let the cat out of the bag yet. But one day, your memories will be automatically saved without you clicking any buttons or, or anything and you will have that value proposition so you can actually just stay present in a moment and not worry about having to capture it at the time so you know hopefully we can affect humanity in a healthy way i think we onto something we need investment so we need investment we need distribution we are like so many startups at a very critical point right now and our whole team is committed to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to to get capsule into people's hands because we believe in it and there's no end to this so please help us Please get the app. Um, give us the grace we deserve as a startup on the app. Don't just get...
the app. You can have it for free. Don't just get it for free. Try it for free. That's fine. If you think we're doing a good job, please take a subscription. Uh, you are investing in your own longevity to be known as Maslow would like forever. And you no, know, buy the book. It's a great Christmas gift. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, here's to being different, to being a unicorn and to being obsessed, right? Yeah, be obsessed. Love, Love it. it. I love so it. there's uh there's two more things that I wanted to get to before we wrap up here. And yeah. and one is just where would you invite everyone to connect with you? I know there's a million different ways that people can check out Capsule, but we'd love to hear from the horse's mouth. Yeah, this is something we get asked a lot. <laughs> it's uh and it's uh it's tricky because we don't want to be on so I'm no longer on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me a long time to leave it, but I did eventually download all my stuff, which is e- no, not easy in a way. You can connect it to a Google Drive, which is the option it gives you, and it'll give you all your pictures and stuff. Sadly, you lose all your comments. You lose all your conversations. You lose all that stuff. Unfortunately, the ills that they have wrought on us up to this point is not something that we as a company can fix just yet. Hopefully, one day we will be able to. But we are still on Instagram, and we're about to launch out some campaigns on other platforms as well. There will be some Facebook platforms but as far as connection goes capsule.app on rg at the moment we we looking at how we can connect closer with uh with our customers on the app so uh we'll be looking to do that otherwise you can just reach out reach out let's use hello at capsule.life hello at capsule.life is the one and then uh, we'll launch our podcast soon we're going to be doing a podcast because we have nonprofits uh, in our fold we are going to be interviewing real families who have faced real real difficulties. For example, the one podcast, I'll give them a shout out quickly, is Hope Kids. Yeah. They have seven chapters around the country. They all serve families who I think it's 70-odd percent have kids who are sadly facing terminal illnesses. And the other percentage are fa- facing pretty drastic illnesses. Life thre- I don't like terminal. Terminal is not a good word. Life-threatening hmm. Life-threatening illnesses. I'm still learning my way around some some language. Yeah. And what they do is they create events for these families so that these families can enjoy spaces outside of hospital rooms. And how how incredible is that? So these families save their stories on capsule to pass on for obvious reasons. Um, and um, we want to start the podcast. We we are going to be doing a public-facing podcast, but we want to start it with these families. And, and get their real stories, their real struggles. And then we'll bring neuroscientists in. We'll bring uh, different mental health people in. We'll bring different, uh, even medical people in to speak on more educated levels than we can about some of these topics. So, you know, you can connect with us. And what we're going to do as well is if, and you should maybe do this, man. Uh, we're going to have people recommend other people who have great stories to be on the podcast and we're going to call them up out of the blue and, and bring them on and give them a prize and stuff, but hear their story. And so it should be a lot of fun to do, but you'll be able to connect with us there as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I don't know. LinkedIn is one as well. I'm one of these, I don't know. I'm actually quite private, <laughs> you know, for somebody who was in the, the public eye all that time. I'm actually quite private. And so don't be offended if I don't respond to you directly, but I would love to hear from you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, Hope Kids, every episode I donate to and raise awareness for an organization and, and you selected Hope Kids. And when I first had you on the podcast, it was Hope Kids as well. And that's, a, you know, you donate 12.6% of your profits 
to, or maybe it's, is it proceeds revenue, revenue? Yeah. Not so how, so how, yeah. So how it works is we, we donate $1. So our subscriptions are $7.99 a month, mm-hmm. by the way. Maybe by the time this episode goes live, this will be live. But apparently in Europe, uh, Facebook is about to launch their subscription model because they have to, because they'll have no ads. Like we have no ads. Their subscription model is going to be fourteen ninety nine, without any give back, without any of the propositions we're offering you. You know, for legacy and all that, we're seven ninety nine. We're seventy nine ninety nine annually, or seventy nine annually. Um, but of the of that, we give one dollar of your subscription. Of your monthly subscription, so it's 79 one we break it up. But $1 of your seven ninety nine goes back to a non-profit of your choice selected in-app. Mm-hmm. We are currently uh, looking to bring more non-profits on. Hope Kids is the one that we've been – they have been so gracious and so wonderful to allow us to trial this with them. And so that's why they are on there. But you can go and select them. And if you don't know if – if you have a non-profit that you don't – that isn't on the app, then just let us know and uh, we, we will reach out to them and, and hopefully get them on. You can support that nonprofit. But if you think about it, this one, there's a one to three metric that I use and I should have done this earlier when we spoke about productivity. There's a full loop around. You spoke about circles. So one of the things that I've learned to do is that every single thing that we do in the company needs to affect on three applications. So if we do like now, right? So we're doing this podcast and I'll ask your permission to use some of these clips for our social um, and some of these clips, like the Hope Kids clip, will go to Hope Kids. And so we have a three-way application on a one on a one-way output. And so we look at that on everything, and we try to get that one-to-three ratio. Well, it happens to be the same ratio that we have on capsules being shared at the moment. When somebody creates one capsule, they inevitably share it with three other people, say mom, dad, spouse. And those guys need a free account to view that content, and that's fine. We hope they get a paid account because that trust doesn't like what we're doing. But on that metric. When they do take a subscription, think about the growth. It's not only your $1 that's going back. Everybody that you've invited to Capsule that takes a subscription, one of their dollars will go back to a nonprofit as well. And everyone they invite, one of their dollars, one of their dollars. So this is an exponential growth of revenue that we can actually provide a stable uh, idea within parameters of a revenue stream for those nonprofits that they can work with. And so, you know, it's yes, we're doing the donations back because it's it has to be that way around legally but uh, it's actually you giving to those non-profits of your choice and so uh, so that's how the give back works and um, and yeah hopefully hopefully you'll feel the value in that um, it's difficult to sometimes because you could sort of set it and forget it but um, yeah. just remember like we are inviting you not to use our product we are inviting you to join us on a journey towards a more connected humanity. And part of that is encompassed in this give back scenario and all of the things that we've spoken about. Well, Clint, it was an absolute pleasure jamming with you again for you too, man. round two here. And yes, I love that we went long form. We covered a whole lot of ground. Yeah, I appreciated your invitation at one point in the conversation to pause and take 10, 15 minutes and, and maybe write something. What do you value? And what did you learn from this conversation? And taking those pauses and reflecting and dropping out of the superficiality and, and going just a little bit deeper, whatever that next step is for you. That's that's my invitation to whoever is listening. If you are listening with us, thank you so much for being here. I know that your attention and time is really valuable. And 
I hope that you got a lot out of it. I always get a lot out of these conversations. I appreciate all the different lenses that you have on the world that you, you know, you seem aware of so many different things and also really conscious about the choices that you're making individually. You're open, you're honest, you might be private as a person, but you're candid, you're vulnerable. And your company also seems to be, you pointed to this, your company is an extension of you. Right. It's, it's in integrity. I see you as a man who's in integrity. And when you might breach that because we're human and sometimes we slip up and we miss things, you acknowledge it and you course correct. So it's a pleasure to support you, the organization that you're creating. And man, I, I want to be part of the, uh, the success that I feel is inevitable in, uh, in the future for you. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate those words very much. Uh, those things always fuel us. It is like going back. I appreciate that very much. It's, you know, when people send us messages and our team messages and stuff, we wish we had more of them. You know, those encouragements mm-hmm. are the real fuel. But yeah, and ditto, man. Like, like I said, congrats on the long form. Congrats on the baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate these comments. I learned just as much in these as well. None of this is scripted. None of this is it always comes out differently. And it's always a test of if you're really living it, if it can come out in a healthy way. So I, I appreciate the test today. Yeah, man. Well, here's to both really living it. And to everyone who tuned in, thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good rest of your day or evening. Take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace. Thank you.